Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, January 31st, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. When Spotify decided to buy Joe Rogan's podcast, at the time that Spotify bought Joe Rogan's podcast, he was scoring 190 million downloads a month. So Spotify's purchase of the Joe Rogan podcast was a straight up effort to build audience by getting the most successful podcast in the world into its number sheet so that it could tell Wall Street that it was making hay with its numbers. Joe Rogan has on a couple of, um, I wouldn't really describe them as vaccine skeptics. One of the two leading figures in the controversy involving Rogan uh, is one of the guys who invented the mRNA vaccine or came up with the concept of how to, how to create an mRNA vaccine. So it wouldn't exactly be described as a vaccine skeptic. Um, he has on these two figures. Of course, people don't like him because they think he's a some kind of a right-wing intellectual dark web crank and uh, start a campaign to say that he is peddling misinformation. And then, of course, the big news last week was that um, uh, Neil Young, the screechy-voiced uh, Canadian-American 300-year-old ex-hippie uh pulls his music from spotify followed by fellow canadian 300 year old ex-hippie joni mitchell uh i so all of laurel canyon ba back in 1971 is going to pull it to i'm waiting for you know david crosby jackson brown um you know uh the late graham parsons could come back from the dead to pull his music from spotify um but of course, the calculus here is hilarious if you think about it, because let's say that in the course of a day, people going to Spotify, you know, want to listen to Neil Young, you know, several thousand people listen to a Neil Young song a day, while five million people listen to Joe Rogan a day. Spotify doesn't really have much of a much of an incentive to go with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, as opposed to Joe Rogan. Um, and so the question here is, and, and, and didn't and hasn't like net, not like Netflix with uh, Dave Chappelle. Uh, the financial interest is entirely with Netflix staying with the staying with the old, uh, with the person that they, that they brought to the dance. Um, so what is what is in fact going on here? That's that's the interesting question. I'm personally get... holding out to before I have an opinion to to find out what Jay Giles thinks about all yeah. this. Um, well, he's from Boston, so we don't we don't even know yet. What is true? They're a little they less censorious. Everything, everything in, is in sort of Boston. focused on. Everything is sort of focused on, you know, uh, alt rock uh, people who are on David Geffen's label in you know 1278 bc so i i you know well I, let's see let's see let's see if you know somebody more contemporary decides to do this well here's what here's what's going on here neil young 
who is anti-science and a spreader of misinformation, who was on a years-long campaign against GMO foods uh, with nonsense garbage information about the, how they harm people, when in fact they save lives. So, you know, part of this campaign about, about getting, uh, you know, censoring Rogan and, and, and uh, um, anti-vaxxers is that, well, they're killing people. Well, if you shut down GMO foods, you'll also kill people, by the way. Oh, are currently yes, the only place in the yes. world that hasn't kept up with nutritional statistics is sub sub-Saharan Africa, where a substantial campaign of misinformation has been waged against GMO foods. And that's a place that the uptake has been the, the slowest. And as a result, you're seeing child malnutrition rates continue at rates that we experienced in the 20th century. Exactly. And Neil Young had a whole concept album about it. Um, but if we're going to start you know, uh, censoring everyone for misinformation and disinformation, that is deadly. Um, we should probably start with everyone who spread the misinformation about police in this country uh, and their interactions with African-Americans, because that sure led to a lot of deaths. Uh, the, 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 the lies about, uh, told about, about that led to, led to deadly protests. We, then we should move on to uh, uh, the constant misinformation and disinformation about Israel and its actions, right? right. Um, let's just keep going. So you put your finger on it. it, has nothing to do with misinformation. It's just the type, the quality of information, the type of information that's being broadcast. And it seems to me that the guy's cardinal sin from the perspective of a elite, you know, legacy media personality is that he's a classic interviewer insofar as he gives his subjects a platform and allows them to expand on their thoughts at length without interruption. And whatever, whatever comes out, comes out. Um, that's not what you do in the interview game anymore. You're supposed to hector and insult and interrupt and not allow your subject to get through, especially if they fail to reinforce the values that they perceive, the host perceives their audience to share. That's, that's what it means to be a good interviewer today, which is a terrible technique and, and results in nothing uh, that is informative. It's just political combat. But that's what people want to hear now. They want to hear political combat, not conversation. Well, and they want they want to serve the narrative with the interview. They they come into an interview with a with a narrative in place, and then the interview they plug in the the quotes that suit the narrative there. And and look, I mean, the funny thing is, if you've, I've been listening to Joe Rogan for years, off and on, mainly because I love when he has people on to talk about MMA, which is you know I have this this weird martial arts hobby. But like this guy has a range of weird interests that have nothing to do with politics, and he brings people on because he genuinely and in an eclectic fashion has curiosity about a lot of things. So he'll say, okay, let me find some guy who wants to talk about this for three hours. Now you have to really be committed as a listener to get through all of it, unless you're really curious about it. And I think what the kind of mainstream media hate about the fact that he's had these kind of alternative voices on, on vaccination and, and COVID policies on is that first of all, he gets a lot more people to pay attention to him than they can with their crafted narrative. Um, and he also is a skeptic himself in his questions. He doesn't establish a norm and then ask the interviewer to defend him or herself. He says, okay, so what is this? And then lets the person extrapolate. And yes, people say things that are not factually correct on there, whatever, look it up. You can, you can question whether the people, his guests on the show are always telling the truth. But that's what you do every time you read a newspaper article as well. And it's the fact that the institutions that, that claim the moral high ground here aren't trusted anymore. And he is, they hate it. But, okay. So here's, here's what we have. Joe Rogan is an example. Ben Shapiro is another example, pretty much in the same medium. 
but of the um, entirely self-generated audience. Um, we're, we're talking about new media. We've been talking about the creation of new forms of media now for 30 years, really since the arrival of the internet. The podcast is one of the odd because it's really a sort of a, an emendation of, you know, of a, of a radio show, right? Even though like the bands and Rogans are, are, are also on, on YouTube, but so you can, you can watch them, but they're basically versions of a radio show, but you get to pick and choose when you listen to it. Um, and uh, uh, these guys and a couple of others are like the masters of this form. And they started from nothing. They literally started from nothing. They just sat down in a room with a microphone and started to do things. Rogan was known because he had been the host of Fear Factor, a reality, you know, reality show on, on NBC. He had been a stand-up comic. And he's, as is the case with a lot of people who have wild success in new forms of media, He's an autodidact and he is, you know, he's, he's not a, a formally conventionally educated person. I think he's from a working class background in Massachusetts. He started doing stand up. He went on the show news radio. He then got fear factor, but he's interested and he speaks to people in a way and with a kind of weird range of uh, political takes that make him impossible to categorize. He's like a libertarian who voted for Bernie Sanders. He's a uh, he, you know, he's uh, interested in mixed martial arts and in, you know, cannabis. And he doesn't believe in government telling you what to do. But, you know, he doesn't think that America should be pushed around. It's all very uh, it's inconsistent. All, you know, that kind of ideological inconsistency even, yeah, is yeah. It, is typical of America's voting population. Exactly. Ideologically consistent and people are very rare. Yeah. And particularly America's voting people under the age of 35, let's say, who have who are a welter of contradictions uh, for the most part. And um, th- what what is going on here, I think, is a is an increasingly desperate rear guard action against the elite mishandling of the pandemic, which is to say that as the public increasingly turns on, and I'm not talking about the Trump public, and I'm not talking about anti-vaxxers, I'm talking about as the public in general says, they've been telling us to behave in ways that make increasingly make no sense, that may have made sense 18 months ago, but don't make sense now. And they're not changing. And I'm beginning to really think that somebody is selling me a bill of goods here. Uh, Institutionally, public health professionals, mainstream media figures, all of whom have gotten consumed with the notion that the thing to do with information you don't like is to suppress it, which isn't, which is a relatively new thing actually uh, in American life since the 1960s. Um, it, it just happens to dovetail with their interest, which is that these voices are coming out that are skeptical, that are anti-institutional, that are hostile to delivered wisdom from on high, the sort of we now know. So Joe Rogan yet last night, yesterday, put out a nine-minute video on Instagram explaining himself that I, I, I commend to everybody to watch because it's very balanced. And he says maybe he hasn't been uh, rigorous enough about having contradictory voices 
like if he's going to have on a controversialist who's saying something controversial, maybe he should then have on somebody who can challenge that controversialist views. But he books his own show. You know, he's not that well lettered. He's do, he's doing all this on the fly. He's now more conscious if Spotify wants to put on a message at the beginning of the show saying that there's a lot of controversy around this and you should talk to your doctor before you do anything based on the information that's totally fine with him. Um, you know, uh, it seemed very reasonable to me. Um, you know, uh, he wasn't defensive. He wasn't apologetic, really. He was... There are other ways to do this. And, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that there's a lot of different kinds of information that I could be sharing. Um, and maybe I should be doing more of that like that. They want to create a circumstance in which a people who are participants in the service themselves and profit theoretically from the service themselves are organizing a boycott against the service. In other words, you know, this is a version of in 1987 when 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 people started saying, don't watch Fox, Terry Ricolta, that parents group person in the late 80s, don't watch Fox because of married with children. That was a consumer boycott. This is a different thing. This is a I don't even know what you would call it. It's a sort of like. I'm not going to let you sell my goods if you are also selling this other person's but goods. See, that's actually where the silver lining of this controversy and kind of the hilarity of it. If the if Neil Young wants to deplatform himself, I have no problem with that. I'm like, bye, go see ya. It's when they're trying to to uh, bankrupt a service because it also hosts someone with whom they disagree. So the question is whether, and I don't think we're going to see a lot of people joining this campaign with Neil Young. You do see people canceling their subscription. So in that sense, it's a kind of there is a consumer boycott element to this. But the idea that we've now evolved in the cancel culture to where people will will dramatically grandstand and deplatform themselves. I have no problem with them deplatforming themselves. Great. Now I don't have to bother with listening to complain, like go somewhere else. But they shouldn't be trying to undermine the service that that hosts alternative views Two two different British intellectuals, friends, friends of mine, uh, much older friends of mine, David Price Jones, and Paul Johnson told me a, sto- a totally similar story um, about going to dinner at the home of the playwright Harold Pinter, uh, the late playwright Harold Pinter. Uh, Pinter would have these dinner parties. Uh, Paul uh, and Pinter were, you know, uh, very ideologically hostile to each other, and uh, David too. But David is uh, much less pugnacious in that specific way. But uh, but Paul's wife, uh, Marigold, was a very good friend of of, um, of Pinter's wife, uh, Antonia Frazier. And so they would go over to dinner and they at at Pinter's house and they would have they an argument would erupt at the table and Pinter would storm out of his own house. In anger, he would leave his own house. <laughs> he would he would leave his own house because he didn't like the way the conversation was going at a party that he was hosting. That this that's sort of this thing here, which is like um, you, you don't want people to listen to your music on Spotify. Fine. Now, there's a larger purpose here, which is to get a snowball rolling, right? In other words, to create some revolt within the artist community that can pressure Spotify to change its behavior. And it won't come from Neil Young and it won't come from 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 Joni Mitchell. It could come if Taylor Swift decides 
she would want to join in on something like that. Or I, I don't know who, you know, Adele. I mean, um, even so, Spotify's own, the logic of Spotify's own business, which really isn't about how many people listen. It's about what you can tell Wall Street. I mean, it is about how many people listen, but it's like what you tell Wall Street so that the stock price goes up. It's not about earning money that Spotify earns money from its subscribers, precisely. It's more about the stock price. And as a result, the number of people who have come into Spotify because they want to listen to Joe Rogan, you know, is going to be multiples beyond belief higher than even, you know, a, an assemblage of artists, unless they involve the three or four top artists in the world, it's going to, is going to matter. So again, we have a bank shot thing. Not that I think that this is all well considered, but um, it's like a lot of this stuff that we were talking about. And Abe talks about in his, uh, this is a counter revolution piece that is now up at commentary, commentary.org for you to read. It's a question of what the ancillary effects are. Joe Rogan can weather this fine. Can we weather it? In other words, let's say we something we say something, and you know we're on Spotify. I don't think we have a we have a particularly big listening audience on Spotify per se, but we're on Spotify. We say something on this show, and somebody wants to complain about us and wants you know says I you know, I'll pull my music if you know you don't deplatform commentary the commentary podcast. They could do that. I mean, it's no skin could, off their who's nose. Who's going to get energized about it? I mean, <clears throat> what part of this is the prosecution of professional no. jealousies? So, what no, professional I, jealousies are offended by that? I mean, that's no. But that's a, this is a stalking. No, horse no, no. But you have to let me. No, but you have to let me finish my, my point, which is, if some of this works, we censor ourselves out of fear that we're going to get deplatformed. That that's how it works. Joe Rogan can survive a deplatforming effort. In fact, he would profit from it. He would pocket the money that Spotify gave him. He would go back to where he was and he would there. He would then have the hundred million dollars that Spotify paid him. And he would have the, he would still have the most successful podcast in the world. Cause it's he's, he's the brand Spotify bought the brand in order to rent him, but he still, he remains the brand. They can't really injure him in that way, but they could injure 10 million other people. If for some reason it became the logic of, the Spotify universe that podcasts were to be censored lest they lest they offend the sensibilities of the artists who once worked for David Geffen. But I mean, there's, but- it's, it, I just just to add to, to Noah was saying that this is really a stalking horse for a l- larger thing, and I think that's right. There, the the true bellwether is the fact that you know uh, Nicole Hannah Jones tweeted about. Rogan, you know, there was a New York Times reporter who actually thoughtfully said, look, you know, maybe we should think about we who are in the mainstream media should spend some time thinking about this was Matthew Rosenberg, New York Times. Why are so many people trusting him instead of us, which is a legitimate thing to think about? Like, why does he why is he so popular? Her response was to say, I don't understand this. I mean, you know, we need to understand why millions of Americans don't mind the open racism. It's not a mystery. What? What? What is she talking about? She just suddenly starts screaming that Joe Rogan is racist because he's on the wrong. He's not playing on their side. He's not playing into their narrative. He actually go very directly says things are ambiguous. Problems aren't black and white. I'm going to spend three hours talking to this person who I think is interesting and hear what they have to say, leaving it up to the listener to make up his or her own mind. And they hate that. 
They hate well, that. that. That's that. That's his greatest crime, because everything. If you are on Twitter, or if you are a pundit, or if you are some sort of political addict, everything must be a binary choice. You are, you are either with anti-vaxxers who uh, who want to sack the Capitol, or you are with you know build back. I don't know who you're with on the other side. Build back better. Black Lives Matter. Every, every, you know, every everyone on the in the entire um, liberal spectrum. So, you know, that's so, of course, he's going to get lumped in with everything on the other side of that binary. The thing about this being good for us or for other people in the end is that it's not going to work. I think it's really not going to work this time. I think the the cancelers gravely underestimate um how much how many people are sick of this kind of thing, particularly in the in the sort of Rogan sphere. And um, it'll be good to let this one come to a head and let them go down. Let's say it did work. Like what's here's the scenario in which it, it does work. Right. Spotify caves. They abrogate their contract. Joe Rogan walks away with all that money and more in the event he wants to prosecute his, his contractual obligations and takes his audience with them. So he creates his own institution with 100 million people listening to it. There's no gatekeepers on podcasts. They'll still get it. Would that outcome be unsatisfying for the people who want him booted from Spotify? I don't think so, because they're not their, their contention isn't that misinformation exists and it must be rooted out wherever it is and stigmatized. They'd be fine with that outcome because it no longer they no longer are confronted with it. They just want to create and maintain their own ecosystems, impenetrable information silos that they prefer. I, I don't agree. I, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because they're not confronted with it now. They don't listen to Rogan. They're just aware of it. And that is enough. That is. Yeah, but they wouldn't that, be that aware of it if sleep. it was siloed somewhere. Spotify else. isn't theirs. Isn't their ecosystem. Spotify is a shell. That's like saying FM radio, I, I, you know, that's like saying the existence of an FM radio itself is an ecosystem like they don't. I mean, I understand what you're saying about about, you know, in the case of, say, Neil Young and 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 Joni Mitchell, maybe it's now their ecosystem. Although there are other services, there's Amazon Music and there's, you know, there's Apple Music and whatever that you can stream from. Uh, they're making a lot less money than they used to um, and all that. Uh, unless you can sort of get an Apple to make a $25 million documentary about you, um, which uh, I'm sure this will, this will hasten. I don't think it is their ecosystem. I, I, I'm, I think that the story here is that people who have no interest in Spotify want Joe Rogan censored that they want Joe Rogan silenced. The new thing is to want people silenced and what's new, it's not that it's new. Everybody wants their rival silence. Everybody wants people not to, to everyone is thrilled to hear that a book that's not in your ideological ken, that's an attack on you, like didn't sell, right? That's the most exciting news any week is that so-and-so brought out a book and it only, and SoundScan said that it only, BookScan said it only sold 4,000 copies instead of the 100,000 it was going to sell. And you're so happy to hear that it's not working, right? People don't want the views of others to prevail. What's different here is that they now believe that they're on the side of the angels in wanting the other people's views suppressed because either you have to suppress them because they're either destroying democracy 
and democracy must be saved. And if if it is necessary to suppress speech in order to save democracy, that is valuable. Facebook needs to suppress wrong stories about elections in order to save democracy. And after all, they can do it because they're a private company and they're not they're not governed by the First Amendment. And uh, on on the virus and the vaccine, you now have to suppress. We must suppress this information because it's going to kill people. Now, here's what's interesting about that idea now, which is here's what we know now where we are with the vaccines. Uh, the numbers are, are, are indisputable that through Omicron, if you are vaxxed or vaxxed and boosted, the possibility of your getting fatally ill from COVID or even getting ill from COVID is 15 to 50 times larger than it would be if you were unvaxxed. But you can get Omicron if you're vaxxed and boosted. Uh, the vaccines do not prevent the transmission of Omicron, though they prevented the transmission of earlier variants, and they do not prevent you from getting it. Saying that, as Joe Rogan says in his, Joe Rogan said three things in that, in that video that he made. He said there are three things that people said that got you deplatformed about the, the viruses. I can't quite remember what they are. All of which that you, social media would have suppressed you for. All of which the science has changed on. Every single one. It either changed. Don't wear them. You know, you don't have to wear a cloth mask. You would your your post your posts or your would be suppressed by Twitter if you said don't wear a cloth mask. Now the CDC says don't wear a cloth mask. The vaccines uh, do not prevent transmission. You would have been suppressed on social media. We now know the vaccines do not suppress transmission or or the getting of COVID in this variant. Um, and so that's where we are, is that is that is now become righteous to suppress because the idea is that you have to because there's settled science and the science isn't settled. And, you know, by the way, John, your point about the, you know, the wanting to see your rival fail and Noah, yours about professional jealousies, that is overwhelmingly what this is about. And we know this because there is no question that the same people who say, oh, this is about killing people. We can't let Joe Rogan kill people. These are people who go onto Twitter when they hear that like an anti-vax uh, right wing DJ died of covid with like snarky, jokey tweets saying, oh, well, so, so sorry to hear that. That's really sad. You know, things like that. They don't care if if they, if, if a bunch of anti-vax rubes kill themselves for, by not getting the vaccine. Like that's that's comedy to them. You know, just to go on with this. So there was a pretty remarkable, I mean, not anything that we didn't know, but a pretty remarkable story in the New York Times on Sunday about um, how uh, Dark Money, the great villain uh, of, of all Democratic uh, talking points from 2010 onward, the existence of Dark Money, money given to nonprofits that didn't have to be, uh, you know, whose donors didn't have to be disclosed. Um you know, was a republic was 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 where the Republican evil was and the evil dark money was buying elections and all of this. And that in 2020, 
the Democrats had a $1.5 billion to $900 million advantage in dark money. And, and uh, I just want to add, okay. because I wrote about this in 2019 yeah, yeah. for our blog, this was true of the 2018 midterms as well. This has been going on right. before 2020. It's just the New York Times is suddenly like, oh, my, you know, they're clutching their pearls now. But this has been happening as and, and they've never been called to account. These the Democratic leaders who are constantly, you know, complaining about uh, money on the other side of the aisle. So, right. Well, so I, I bring this up because one of the people who has profited from dark money is a Democratic lawyer named Mark Elias. Um, and he uh, is sort of like one of the leading figures in how to gerrymander, how to fight, you know, how to sue for, you know, Democratic advantage in election law. And he got very upset um, uh, at the way he was written about in this piece. And uh, he issued the following tweet. Uh, if the media is not going to be pro-democracy, then it probably is time for the courts to revisit New York Times v. Sullivan, as conservative lawyers suggest. The case was premised on a role in democracy that the mainstream press seems unwilling to, to, to hold. New York Times v. Sullivan is the libel law that uh, is, the, is the decision that said that if you are a person in the public eye, uh, the, it ra wildly raises the standard under which you can sue for defamation or libel. Uh, you, you need, uh, there's a sort of various tests. You need malice of forethought. You need to know that what you're saying is untrue. Da, 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 da. Um, so what he's saying is he didn't like this story. So now he wants First Amendment law to be revised so he can sue the New York Times. Um, for a month, and then he followed it up by saying, for months I've been making the point that too many care more about media First Amendment rights than the rights of voters. They're willing to tolerate voter suppression as just politics as usual. So this is new. This is a new thing. This is what I'm talking about, about there is a right, there is a false righteousness about the idea that the highest good is to suppress speech. And uh, Abe, Abe, I think, makes, is making the point that um, this isn't going to fly with the American people. I think generation, the real question is, is, it, is that generationally true or not? Because we have all this polling data that suggests that people under 30 are much less connected to the idea of free speech than people over 30. And certainly college-educated people under 30 are vastly less interested in free speech and the free exchange of ideas. But this, uh, to interrupt you, that that's true and worrisome, but I do think we shouldn't become pessimistic. There's an opportunity, I think, in educating them about what free speech means, and I think it's because they've been raised on a diet of trigger warnings and, and you know, speech is violence kind of rhetoric and with no clear alternative that isn't just all truly alternative right-wing media. So if they don't feel like they're conservatives, there's no place for them. There's no more like mainstream liberal place for them anymore. They have to sign on to this more draconian anti-free speech message because there isn't a happy middle. Now people are building that. Our friend Barry is building that. Other people are trying to create that. Um, but I do think that they, I think it's a problem of not having an alternative place to go and feeling like they need to define themselves politically and culturally when these uh, conditions arise, when these and, controversies arise. And you've identified the 
the key factor, I think, where, where you said they need to find a place to go. Does this contingent that is censorious, at least they tell pollsters they're censorious, are they credulous towards official pronouncements from the public health apparatus, from government enterprises? Are they, uh, you know, are they reflexively deferential to figures in authority? No, I don't think so. And that's what the problem is here that they're attempting to address. The marketplace for a Joe Rogan or Joe Rogan type material is rooted in a mistrust of uh, official orthodoxies. And that's as present on the censorious left and right as it is on the more egalitarian, uh, you know, traditional uh, deferential to the First Amendment types. But look, some of that is is very conditional Uh, for some people who who are who crave ideological consistency no matter what. Um, it's not conditional, by which I mean that the people, you know, around the intercept and led by Glenn Greenwald, others, Mark Tracy, various other people have been very have been working very hard to be intellectually consistent. Right. They don't they they in this. I, I don't like them. I'm just saying that they they are vaccine skeptics and public health skeptics because they also believe that everything the government had, you know, was saying about, you know, its intelligence gathering and and the way it behaved after 9-11 and all of that was evil and fascistic. And therefore, they've simply taken that view and they've translated it to the domestic public health sphere and said, there's no reason to believe that any of these people are telling us the truth about anything because that governments don't. They they want to use power to suppress people. That's what they were doing in intelligence. And now they're doing it in public health. But for all the people who are not they, they who celebrated Edward Snowden's leaks, who celebrated a reality winner's leaks, who celebrated all of that and said it was evil that these people, you know, were, were you know, prosecuted and in the case of reality winner sent to jail and all of that. It's entirely conditional. They didn't like they they liked Edward Snowden because he was leaking about Iraq and what and, and America's behavior in Iraq. And they liked reality winner because she was leaking stuff about Russia's interference in the 2016 election, but they don't like anybody talking smack about the public health authorities and want them to be suppressed. I will add this briefly, just to introduce another element here that one of the reasons why Joe Rogan's style and format works for him is because it's a very conventional way of storytelling that has kind of been lost. What he does is introduce you to a, a topic through intellectual curiosity and posing a question. And at the co- over the course of three hours, that question is answered. It's a mystery that you get to solve. That's lost in conventional political media because conventional political media now starts with a conclusion and works backwards from the conclusion. You already know what you're getting from the outset. There's no mystery to unravel and you're not taken along on a journey. You're just kind of have your hand held through the process, which is kind of boring. In that sense, it's become a much more conventional way to tell a story and storytelling is entertaining. Look, that's very true. And I, I, I just, again, think that, that where Abe and Chris, where, where, where you guys are, are onto something is that, um, yeah, you can say, uh, I want the people who say things that I like to be celebrated and not to be, you know, and to be made martyrs when they run afoul of authorities, um, but I want to martyr. I want to, you know, I want to use the powers of government to prosecute people who say things that I don't like. That is a, that is a, that is, even if you don't really know the circumstances of the case, 
that leaves a smell behind, you know, leaves a ring around the bathtub or something like that. Like the hypocrisy is really, really, really pointed. And for the New York Times to come out and say, we have every right to publish Trump's tax records and then to have various other types of people who work in and around the New York Times effectively supporting the suppression of speech they don't like on the grounds that it's misinformation that needs to be suppressed in order to protect democracy. No, you know, no wonder people are to find these institutions unseemly. Now, a lot of them don't. They have big audiences. They have 7 million people, they have 7 million subscribers, but it's a big country. And, and, and they are also a weapon to be used against the people that they support, because then people say, well, you see, it's like you can't get a fair shake out of anybody. And they'll say whatever they want to say in order to keep themselves and their friends. And literally in this case, as we know uh, in media terms, a lot of them are married to officials in government. You know, so we have that, right? It's like they're not just keeping their friends in power. They're helping their wives and husbands retain their jobs in, 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 the, in Democratic administrations. The, the the anti-free speech element of this is is new, John, as you say. But what's not new here at all is that um, every left attempt to control someone else's behavior needs a cover story, right? A, a story about how you're going to how you, you're doing the ultimate you're doing good ultimately here. So these people can't buy this and you can't use this in your home and you can't. And um, what happens is there. So there are the people who who make these attempts to shut other people down and to control other people's behavior out of out of, you know, out of the urge to control other people, other people's behavior. They have the cover story. And then you have people who don't particularly want to control anyone's behavior, but they listen to the cover story and they go, oh, you know, that sounds right. I don't want people to die from not getting vaccinated. And they sort of go along more passively. Um, What it's an interesting moment now because I think the cover stories are less and less plausible as the institutional um, uh, 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 ballast for them is breaking down and being questioned. That's such a good point, because that's why you hear them, that the levels of hyperbole now injected into those cover stories are increasing. So it's not just this would be bad for this one minority group if people thought or said that. It's you're on the wrong side of history, right? Like the stakes couldn't be higher. Like this is just, the, this is such a big deal. And I will say the other new thing though, is that you can't be neutral anymore. And that's what a lot of these, uh, that's why a lot of these debates, I think um, I are gonna be good long-term for the side of free speech and free expression because people don't wanna always make everything political. They just wanna download a Taylor Swift song. Like they don't really care. You are made to care. You must be made to care. And that is the argument coming from the left. Now the right has its own version of that, but it's not culturally in the same position of power as the left is. And I think people are just sick to death of being told they must care about all of this stuff all the time. Okay, guys. So as we come to the, you know, we are the, the, the last day of the first month of 2022. People have made their New Year's resolutions. Maybe they're keeping them. We hope they are. Or if they're not, I hope you don't beat yourself up too much about it. But, you know, the beginning of a new year is a great time to finally start things like diets, workout routines, or thinking about your financial future. And uh, that's why you should check out Wealthfront.com as we come to the close of January. You can start investing in no time with Wealthfront's classic portfolio, 
or make it your own with things you care about like socially responsible funds, technology, crypto trust, or hundreds of other investments. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. Don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill? Wealthfront helps you do that. Not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or what rebalancing really is? Wealthfront does it for you automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $28 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And the best part is their product is so simple yet powerful that it has 4.9 out of 5 stars in the Apple App Store. So to start building your wealth and get get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to wealthfront.com slash commentary. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash commentary to start building your wealth. Go to wealthfront.com slash commentary to get started today. And we got to talk to you once again about Bolin Branch sheets. Bolin Branch, uh, you know, no one wants to cut corners on what's important. Few things matter more than a good night's rest. Bolin Branch's signature sheets feel so soft and light, you'll forget you're not actually sleeping on a cloud. And they're sustainably made for uncompromising quality from field to factory. Look, if you dream of comfortable sheets at a price that won't keep you up all night, look no further than Bowling Branch. Is that right, Noah? That Bowling is Branch. right. That is right. I am a happy Bowling Branch sheet owner. Um, we've had them long enough so that they get washed frequently, and they do get softer with every wash, uh, wash as, the, uh, as the copy suggests. Uh, we have a very lovely color and pewter, which matches my walls. As I've said before in previous podcasts, they're like they're big enough so that they actually the fitted sheet stays fitted and doesn't eject on you and you wake up in the morning on an empty mattress. Uh, they're high quality sheets. Can't recommend them enough. Listen to John. Look, they're buttery soft, lightweight organic cotton, classic sateen wave. Not too hot, not too cool. Quanti- quality over quantity. No inflated thread counts because more isn't always better. Seven beautiful colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. Best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a fair price, plus a 30-day risk-free trial with free shipping in return. So experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlingBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code COMMENTARY at checkout. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code COMMENTARY. Okay, uh, where do we uh, where do we go from here? Donald Trump uh, tweeted out that uh, he wanted Mike Pence to overturn the election. So he said the quiet part out loud. He said everyone's saying that we need to reform the Electoral Reform Act so that, you know, the vice president can't overturn the election. But if that's the case, that meant that Mike Pence could have overturned the election and he should have overturned the election. So you can consider it all rhetoric. You can say it doesn't matter because, you know, so he's using shorthand. What he means is that the election was unfair and and therefore uh, it should have been overturned uh, because all the all the counts were fake or whatever it was. But that's not what he said. What he said was uh, he could have overturned the election. He didn't do it. And so therefore, as he said to Jonathan Carl. Uh, in you know, for an interview for his book, it's it's understandable that people were running around on January sixth saying, "Hang Mike Pence." I mean, it's you know, what do you expect? He he told told John Carl. But but I thought Trump said he was disappointed in Pence for this a long time ago. I mean, there's there is no quiet. Yeah, forget part. He did, no, he's trying no, to no, make it. It's this the overturn like the election that's the quiet part. 
Yeah, this is a too clever by half argument where he's like, oh, well, if this electoral form is, is necessary, then all the people who said that the vice president couldn't overturn the election were wrong. Ha ha. Um, I don't know if he thinks he's this is as salient a point as he thinks he's making. But also we're taking him very literally and not seriously. I don't think I mean, too literally. In fact, I don't think anybody who is attracted to this argument is going to hear, oh, wait, the election is illegitimate, which is what he's actually saying. Or his is, you know, overturning the election would be illegitimate, which is the context of these remarks. Nobody, nobody who we want to hear that will hear that. Well, and it's just from I'm going to come at this from a completely non analytical perspective and say, I'm just everyone likes to say this. He says, I'm just exhausted, like enough already. He's like this annoying person in your life who always has the same four complaints and just recycles them over and over. And every time he's like, eh, you know, he or she's my friend. I, I got to go get coffee with this person. And they just whine. He's just the whining. And I just wonder if Republican voters, there's such an opportunity for them to just hear this and go, I mean, no, no more of that. No right. more. It's like how many Republicans are invested. It's like a friend with a bad divorce. They only talk about the bad divorce. And how invested are you in that condition two years later? Yeah, it's not just a bad divorce. I mean, I, I think these analogies are great. The divorce, the friend. It, it's more like the five. I, this is my experience. Two or three years after somebody is fired from a job. Or, you know, 10 years after somebody is fired from a job and it's somebody that you used to work with and you get together and you fumf around for like 20 minutes having a conversation. And then you got to get back to why do you think I got fired? Who who dropped a dirty dime on me? Who who said who who talked smack to me about me to the CEO? Why did it happen? What you know, and it's like you're like, move on, move on, move on. Yeah. And then people start seeing you at a start seeing that person at a party and they flee. They run in the other direction because the monomaniacal inability to move off the subject. Yeah. Which is a little like, you know, a, 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 a spouse who is dumped. Um, and that's where where he is. It's just that, you know, often a certain type of elementary pride in public life prevents people from exercising this mania in you know in full view of other people because it's it's humiliating it's kind of humiliating and it's like unmanly and uh cringe inducing and all of that and yeah the fact that uh i do think though that saying we should have overturned the election as opposed to saying you know the election was stolen and that's a terrible thing. And we need to win again in 24 to right a wrong is different from saying we, you know, we should have overturned the election. I understand its rhetoric, but I mean, he said it, he didn't not say it. And the funny part is not that I want to go into like, you know, the in, in, congressional interpretation, but um, part of the procedure according to which Mike Pence was to be able to overturn the election actually involved him saying that the electoral reform, he was not going to abide by the rules of the electoral reform act, that it was unconstitutional and that he, you know, judge it, there were going to have to be four different things that were going to happen before he could do that, including separate slates of electors that he could recognize and all of that. None of which happened by the way, preceded January 6th. So there was no modality according to which, he could have overturned the election 
uh, the way Trump says, and that wouldn't that doesn't have to do with the Electoral Reform Act or not. But again, that's like that's like uh, getting that's like uh, doing Talmudic interpretation of yeah of this like gotcha aha if uh, if the Electoral Reform Act needs to be reformed, then obviously. Pence did have the right to do what I wanted him to do when he was just a wuss and wouldn't do it. I mean, the question is, is any Republican who's vying for the Trump slot, you know, to challenge him, if those Republicans exist, will they say any of this? No, I don't know. No. I, ha- I got another thing for you. OK, there's going to be a midterm election in 2022. Right. Everyone's assuming there's a Republican blowout. Though there are interesting gerrymandering things going on, like in New York State, like there is a map, gerrymandering map that is one of the craziest things that you have ever seen. New Jersey, I'm too. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like they are creating maps in which uh, in, in the case of Nicole Miliotakis, who is the who is the one Republican from New York City, congressman from New York City, congressman of Staten Island, is in a district that has gone from. Trump plus nine to Biden plus 11. I mean, they're literally just trying to gerrymander her, in, you know, into a race that she can't win uh, and various other, you know, they're shoving a lot of Republicans up. So, so they're creating so three they new win. Democratic seats. And it's very right. similar to what happened in New Jersey, where the, the person who was at the head of this Supreme Court appointed head of this election commission was just like, well, Democrats deserve to win this time, as though yeah. that's a logic that right. justifies case, a reapportionment right. map. And the courts have indicated they're not going to accept it. Right. So they're going for broke here ahead of ahead of the midterms by creating safe Democratic seats from whole cloth in ways that I don't think the courts are going to look upon as this is a this is a justified reapportionment. So two things about that, one of which is that it goes to the what what the internal logic of the Democratic Party's view on why this is acceptable is after spending years talking about the evils of political gerrymanders, suing, bringing a case to the Supreme Court because of Wisconsin political gerrymanders. It is our democracy is being threatened. Republicans cannot be allowed to have cannot be allowed to have power. We are therefore empowered to do anything and everything in our power to prevent Republicans from getting the whip hand. Okay, whatever is going on here, there's going to be a midterm. Republicans are, let's say, going to crush it in some fashion or other. And they're going to celebrate having crushed it. And they prove that Biden, blah, blah, blah. The American people are with us and all of that. How does Trump then go back to 2020 and the stolen election? See what I'm saying? Like, logically, Republicans will have won an election with all of this Democratic, you know, hijinks and tomfoolery going on where they're gerrymandering and they're doing this and they're doing that. They're, they're, they're creating six seats, you know, um, in, in New York and New Jersey, and they're, gonna, they're doing some, something of the same in Illinois, apparently. And, and still Republicans are going to win 35 to 40 seats and get the largest majority that they've they've had in the House practically ever. Trump then goes back and says they stole an election. What that it's sort of like, you know, and he'll say because it's about him when it, when he's on the ticket, then then that's when they really pull out all the stops. I, I understand what he'll say. I'm just saying it's, it, you know, circumstances big events things that happen over the course of time interfere with the narrative now apparently at his rally this weekend in texas halfway through the rally he suddenly did the thing that he should do 
you know, as a serious candidate for office, which is he said, after an hour of meandering, he like turned to the teleprompter and then read off the things that he did versus the things Biden did, where the economy was when he left office. What happened with this? What happened with that? What happened with the other? The contrast, you know, where he's going to be able to say, if he is a candidate, are you better off than you were four years ago? I'm four years ago. Biden's now. I'm four years ago. Do you want to go back to where we were then or do you want to move on? You know, or, you know, because moving back to where we were then was pretty good, he may try to say. I don't know. It's just an interesting moment. Um, do we have anything else to bring up? There was there's uh, so many other things. We Canadian have, protests. Worthwhile Canadian protests. Um, I didn't I didn't apply a value judgment there. I just said there were no, Canadian no, no. protests. Worthwhile. No, somebody Mike Kinsley in the 1980s ran a contest in the New Republic for worst head, most boring <laughs> headline in the New York Times in history. And it was on a column by the by the late columnist Flora Lewis, who was the most banal, conventional, mainstream columnist the world has ever seen. And the headline on the column was Worthwhile Canadian Initiative. <laughs> back, back when the New Republic had a spirit of fun to it. Anyway, uh, so that's why Good I said name Worthwhile for a band. Canadian Initiative. Yes. So... Um, yeah, well, I mean, Canada is, you know, of course, famous for its orderliness. People wait at the, don't cross in the middle of the street, and they, they obey all the rules, and they're very rule and friendly and polite, and all of this, and and, and always um, in and, the context that they're they're not like the U.S. the you right. know the the wild the the you know yeah. violent individualist U.S. Yeah, but you know, this is a this is a country where like. People weren't allowed to see their parents. It's another one of those places where we think we were under lockdown. I mean, they've been under lockdown. Their, their, the policies there have been insanely draconian in terms of everything. And it's like they've apparently had enough. Okay, so the details here are there's this organized protests around truckers, but it seems to have snowballed and attracted more than just the truckers who are protesting the uh, a vaccination uh, mandate on people who are over the road truckers who cross the border uh, into the United States. <clears throat> now that the Canadian, so this is actually a real thing. The Canadian Trucking Alliance estimates that 85 to 90% of their 120,000 strong workforce are fully vaccinated and will be able to apply with this mandate. So it's really an unrepresentative protest. But at the same time, they also say that as many as 16,000 people will be put out of a job as a result of this and will uh, exacerbate strains on the supply chain, et cetera, so forth. Uh, and they organized this protest. And I don't think it's gone all the way to Ottawa yet, but the plan is to get there. And it's apparently such a menace that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was evacuated to an undisclosed site. Like they're treating this as though it was DEFCON 1, like an imminent threat to the stability of the government here, which seems like a slight overreaction and will only fuel the impression that this country has become safety obsessed to the point of mania. I wonder if Justin Trudeau knows that he's been moved somewhere. Because, you know, he's he's kind of a bumbling moron. And so he could be like, we're just going to go for a drive now. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Have you ever seen, have you seen this video clip of him trying to say, uh, trying to say LGBTQ? 
It's a very impressive. Uh, to, you know, as a as as a as a leader, he's very 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 good looking. This is all I can say. He's extremely good looking. He got his mother's looks. He got apparently almost none of his father's brains, and uh, and apparently that's uh, sufficient unto the day uh, in 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 Canada. Um, but it's just interesting because the lockdown, the the simple fact of the matter is, again, we're now getting close to two years, and people have had it. They've just had it and they've had it here they've had it everywhere and governments are gonna do governments are going to adjust or or uh terrible consequence they're going to be met with terrible consequences and in a country where that has no populist sentiment whatsoever to have a mass protest of this sort is a very interesting and indicative sign of what can happen when you uh decide to impose everything from the top and have no internal feeling for when you've gone too far. Okay, we will table this discussion until tomorrow. Thank you all for listening in numbers very close to Joe Rogan's. I know we're we're you know we're 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 creeping up on Joe Rogan. We will get there around the year 2052 or 2552 maybe closer to that but we are a, we are a happy few a band of brothers we will be back tomorrow for Abe Christina no I'm John Pot Horitz keep the candle burning